morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're in church this morning. I hope everybody's feeling better. I know there's a lot of palins and things going around right now, so I'm glad you're in church. You know, I know there's a million churches out there y'all could choose to go to, so y'all come to this one. So we really appreciate that you're coming, you know, and that's a big blessing. We don't take it for granted at all that you're here today. And uh, I want to talk about, we're going to go to the book of Judges, chapter 6, and there's a couple of things I want to talk about. I think that's actually pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty amazed that when you're in the book of Judges or any part in the Bible, how God actually uses weak individuals for great tasks. And he also uses weird weapons as well, as we're going to find out in this story today. You know, God kind of liked to, God is amazing how he breaks out of the human mode, I guess you can say a lot of times. You know, we're so used to going so much in a one direction, and God uses, you know, like in weaponry, we use swords or we use guns, or, but God has this weird way of using weapons and different people for different tasks. So today we're going to talk about a man named Gideon today in the book of Judges, a man who was fearful, a man who was scared, and how God actually filled him with the Holy Spirit, and he actually did great tasks for what came up ahead. So... We're going to read today in chapter 6. It says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of Midian seven years. And the hands of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midians, the children of Israel made them dens, which were in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Uh, Verse 3. So it was when Israel had sown that the Midians came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east they came up against them. They camped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth until you came unto Gaza. And there was no substance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle, their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for the multitude for both they and their camels. They would outnumber and they enter into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impressed because of the Midianites and the children, of, the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now, we will stop there for a second. We will go into more. But, you know, it's amazing how you read how Israel was in a covenant with God. You know, they, they loved God. They, you know, they were in a relationship with God. And then finally, they backslid. You know, they, they, they followed the, the nations. They followed the idolatrous ways, and they backslid. You know, I look at it today, and of course, this is not all my sermons about, but it's kind of amazing today how we live in America, how we're supposed to be a nation under God. Our Constitution was inspired by Christian men, inspired by the Bible, and it's very amazing how today as a nation, how we're entering just like Israel did. You know, we're following other gods. We're actually, as a nation, I don't know if you notice or what, most of the younger people, witchcraft is coming, black magic and witchcraft has come more involved in our culture, more. It's getting worse every day, the witchcraft that's going on. So as a nation, we're actually selling ourselves to false gods. You know, if you read in, I believe it's in the book of Romans, where Paul actually said these idols that Israel was worshiping, they were demons. They were in the form of demonhood. So these idols are demons. So pretty much they're actually selling themselves to, to the powers of darkness. They're actually selling themselves to the devil, pretty much. So Israel here was letting the sin nature rule over them. And because of the sin 
it actually controlled them. It actually brought them into captivity. It got to the point where, and I believe it's in Deuteronomy, when God told Israel, say, if you worship these false gods, they will take over you. And the people that are worshiping in them, like the Philistines and the Amalekites and all these people, they will come and they will also possess you. They will also come and make you slaves. So God was warned of you were actually, you will come slaves to these false gods and to the people of the land that are worshiping behind them. And so this was happening right here. They forsook God, you know, the tabernacle was boring, church was boring, you know, the, the, the heathen gods, they had great parties, they had, you know, they had the disco lights going on, they had some fun, you know, and, and they detract Israel away from God like our society does today. You know, going to church, you know, you're, you, that's so boring going to church, you know. You know, it's better just going discoing or whatever they do now these days. I mean, whatever. It's so much fun now to drink and have fun than going to church. So Israel was in that uh, area as well. So they actually came slaves to these false gods and to the people of the land. So I find it's that very amazing how the Bible says, sin should not have dominion over you. It says in the book of Romans. So the actually, these became dominion over them. They came slave. They came captive to their sins. And so, but God, it's amazing how God's grace, though, even they backslid, even they threw away God, when they cried out to God, God answered them. Now, there was a few times in the book of Judges where God actually, I think it was twice, when God said, I ain't going to deliver y'all no more. Every time I deliver y'all, you'll go right back to the same condition that you were before. So there was a couple of places where, but God and his grace, when they cried out to God, God is long-suffering. So now we're going to read verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you from out of the house of bondage. Now, remember, he's saying, I brought you out of the house of bondage, but they were right back into bondage because of these false gods. And I will deliver you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all who possess you, and drive them out because of you, and give you their land. And I say unto you, I am the Lord God. Fear not the gods of the Ammonites, or those who land you dwell, and you uh, have you not obeyed my voice. So we read right here that God is telling them, look, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of bondage. Now you are slave to the Egyptians and to their false gods. Now you actually, pretty much, you're actually going back into bondage. You're actually going back to this like you were in Egypt, like your, your founding fathers or your forefathers were. Now you're going back into slavery. You know, to this, this like Egypt, you're going back to the heathen countries. They're possessing you, and their gods are taking over you. So it's amazing how God, though, intervenes. We're going to read it, verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under a oak, which was in Oprah. Now, it was not Oprah, like, you know, the celebrity Oprah on TV. It's kind of close, but it's Oprah. That pertained to Jarash Ammonite. Oh, Lord, thank God for Boogie. And his son Gideon dressing her wheat by the, uh, the wine press to hid it from the Midian. So right here, Israel got so much bad into this predicament that, you see, they would, see back then, they would actually, when they do their grain, they would actually go up in the open field, and they would actually throw it up in the air where the wind can grab it, and they would actually clean out the tares from the wheat. You know, when Jesus mentioned in the New Testament, where he said about the wheat and the tares, how they were supposed to be separated, well, this is where Jesus got it from, because back then they would actually flip it, and they would make sure that the good wheat was not with the bad wheat. So right here, 
Israel is so impressed by these enemies that they actually have to go hide their food. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw, it's an old show that played years ago. It was called Magnificent Seven, where in the movie, in the Mexican village, there were these people, they would come from the mountains, and they would actually steal the village's food and stuff like that. Not all of it, but a good bit of it. So this is kind of like what's happening right here. It's a kind of similar situation where these nomads and these people, they would travel around the Middle East, and that time of harvest, they would come and they would take the harvest. They would take half of the food. So we almost got this situation right here where kind of like Magnificent Seven in the movie where they're taking their food and their crops and the hard earned money. And they, they, uh, they had nothing for them and their families. Now let's go to 12. And the angel of the Lord now appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with you, mighty men of valor. Now I want to divide this up into two. Because mostly I'm going to talk about today, there's like two issues with each verse you read. God does everything for a purpose. Now, when he said the angel of the Lord, now, who is this angel of the Lord? Some people say well, it was just a regular angel or it was just a messenger. But this was actually, most people believe, and I believe this, it was actually a coronation of Christ. This is where Christ appeared in the Old Testament. You know, we call it a uh, Christophany, we will call that. That means that's when Christ appears in each part of the, uh, the Old Testament. And most people believe here that this was actually Christ that appeared to Gideon right here. He actually appeared in a few places. If you read in Genesis uh, 12 or 9, when Abraham, when, uh, when uh, the angel came into Abraham, and that was Christ. Because, you know, it's amazing when in the book of John, when uh, they act, the Pharisees asked Jesus, they said, he said, I seen Abraham, and he was glad to see my day, and he rejoiced. And the Pharisees were like, well, the Jewish people were like, well, you're not 100 years old, and you said you're 50. And you said, you've seen Abraham or a long time ago. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. So there's a part in each part of the Old Testament where Christ appeared, and it was Jesus. So this is actually Christ's appearance right here. And he said, and appearing to him, we're going to go back to 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said unto him, Lord is with you, men of valor, or other words, you great powerful man or you great strong uh what's the word i could say strong yeah strong or uh what's the word i say you brave individual you mighty men yeah mighty men of god and then you know i'm pretty sure the bible don't quite mention that but i'm pretty sure when the lord told him that i'm sure you never watch the three stooges when there's like come in gentlemen and they're like who came in you know <laughs> i'm sure gideon was like uh, there's somebody else coming in this cave behind me. They, they, they followed me. I mean, you know, who's a, who? Me? Me? So, yeah, you. You, Gideon. Now, God has a good sense of humor. When somebody says God is boring, God, God, Jesus don't have a sense of humor, this proves right here he had a good sense of humor. Because think about it. The guy's hiding food. I mean, he's hiding. He's like he's hiding like a rat. He's hiding food that nobody would take his food. So how he could be a mighty man of valor if he's hiding like a rat, hiding somebody's food? So you think about it. But so why God told Gideon that? You know, a lot of people, most Christians don't really grab into that. They say, why did God tell Gideon, you mighty men of valor? Because at that point, he was, he was not. I mean, obvious from the scripture, he's really, he's hiding food. He's not, he's not this great warrior. He's not Rambo. You know, he's not, you know, he's not no Chuck Norris here. You know, he's not no great fighter here. So why God said that? Well, this is what I believe. I believe God saw Gideon what he was going to be. 
You see, at that point, Gideon was weak. Gideon was, you know, not a great warrior. But God knew in the future he would be a warrior. You know, God would make something out of Gideon. You know, it's kind of like I believe it was in Jeremiah when God said uh, about the, the potter and the clay. When he says, I'm the potter and you're the clay. And he formed and he makes us. So God was like that with Gideon. God was about to form Gideon. God was about to make Gideon into something. So it's kind of like us. You know, a lot of times, you know, you know, we look back at our past, you know, or we weren't Christians, you know, we, you know, before y'all got to, got, some of y'all got saved, you know, y'all look back and like, wow, what are the wicked things I have done? And Satan holds people back from being that warrior that God called them to be. Or some of us who were raised in church, we would backslid or we were not faithful to God as we should be. Sometimes we let that warrior instinct that God wants us to make us, we hold ourselves back. And we could be a lot more great warriors for God if we just realize God could make us and God can shape us into a warrior. So God didn't see Gideon what he was then. He saw what he was going to be in the common future. Uh, verse 13, and Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where is all his miracles, what our fathers told of us, saying, Do not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second. Right here, Gideon did something kind of wrong here. He was a great man of God. And of course, like any of us, he wasn't perfect. So when he said that to this person, where is God of Israel, pretty much? Where is God? And all these things are going on. Where is God? Well, two, well, one thing for sure, God did not abandon Israel. They abandoned him. So it's kind of like America. I remember when September 11 happened, you know, and that's one of the things you heard a lot from the media and from a lot of people, save or even saved or unsaved, like, where was God at September 11 when these terrorists attacked and, and all this stuff? I'm thinking to myself, well, you took away his protection. I mean, you told him to, to get out. You took God out of the public school. You took prayer, commandments out. I mean, you took the Bible out of society. I mean... I mean, what you expect, I mean, you know, you want God's protection, you want God to bless you, but when it comes down to the rules, you throw them to take a hike. So how can, same thing with Israel, God protected Israel. When God was with Israel, they were winning wars, they were, they were coming against overwhelming odds, you know, and, and, and then God was helping them, and they were allowing God to help them. But when you push God aside, I mean, God's not going to help anyone that don't help, that don't want his help. So that's what happened with Israel. So I think when he was answering his question, and you notice when we get to verse 4, Jesus didn't answer him nothing. Because you know why I was not, because Jesus knew, look, I was helping them, but now they turned their back on me. But it's amazing how he never said nothing. Now verse 14, and the Lord looked upon him and said unto him, this your might that should save Israel from the hands of the Midianites, and have I not sent you? And he said, and he said unto him, O Lord, Wherewith should I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am least at my father's house. Now, we're going to stop right there, for example. God said, I've chosen you. You're the man for the job. And he was kind of, you know, it kind of runs in the blood of the family, I guess, because when God told Moses, hey, Moses, 
You're going to go to Egypt. Oh, Lord, I don't speak too well. Or, you know, Lord, uh, this. And, you know, you could tell, like, he was trying to make excuses. So here it runs in the family pretty much. He's Jewish, so it runs in the family. Now, here he's making excuses. He's like, well, Lord, my family's the poorest in Israel. I mean, I'm nothing, you know, compare. And God's like, well, that's why I'm choosing you, Gideon, because you are nothing. Duh. <laughs> Come on, Gideon. I'm, I'm, I'm using a weak vessel to show my power through you. So I don't care if you're the poorest and, and you know, I don't care what your education or where you come from or because you're not the wealthiest person. I choose you because I want to demonstrate my power through you, Gideon. So it's amazing how there's some people out there when, when God says to somebody else, hey, God told me God's going to use you. Oh, they're ready. I mean, they're ready to go. And then they got some, you'd be surprised. They're like, oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, God wants to use me, you know. And so people fall in this category where some, hey, I'm ready to go. Give me a jump in the truck. Let's go. I'm ready to serve God. I'm ready to give tracts. You know, I'm ready to tell the world about Jesus. And they got some, well, you know, I think you made a wrong mistake, Lord. I think you got the address wrong when you came to my house. I think it's that person across the street you really wanted, you know. So this was happening right here. And it says, verse 15, and he said to him, oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is the poorest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Verse 16, And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall smite the Midianites as one man. Now, this is something right here. God said, I will be with you. Don't be afraid. I mean, you're not, this, you're not on this alone, Gideon. I mean, you know, I'm with you. If you, I'm with you, nobody can conquer you. You know, I was watching, uh, I watched some documentaries, and I was watching about World War II, and it's, uh, you know, it's amazing how in the military, when they're about to attack, they have the Air Force or they have the Navy or they have some big guns behind them, you know, protecting them, you know, in battle. You know, pretty much they had firepower behind these soldiers. And it's the same thing what God is telling Gideon here in a way speaking. He says, Gideon, I'm your firepower. I'm with you. You're not alone. And when you storm the beaches of Normandy, I'm there shooting my big guns to protect you and make sure that you can fight the war. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, that God, when you have God on your side, you have power. You have the Holy Spirit and you have the cross and you have the, you have the promises of God on your side. So when you fight your spiritual wars and you're fighting physical things in this life, you know, you have firepower. You have God shooting his missiles, kind of speaking, out there to debrush those walls and those things that come against you. So if God's with you, who can stand against you? So uh, we will go to verse 17. And he said to him, if now I have found grace in your sight, then show me a sign that you, you talk with me. And now right here, this is nothing wrong with Gideon done at this point. You see, a lot of Christians, you know, I've been in church about all my life. And you, you meet different types of characters. You meet different types of people. You meet you meet some that are saved, some that want to be saved, or some that, that it's hard to explain. Some of them, they're in there because, you know, for other purposes. But this is amazing how he asks God direction. Now, there's nothing wrong with Gideon over here. Gideon wanted to make sure that he was in the will of God. You know, sometimes there's bad doubt, but there's sometimes, there's some cases there is good doubt. What I mean, like, for example, some people are searching, like when someone comes to you, and they're like, we want to know more about God. We're open. You know, we want to know the truth of God. You know, that's what he was doing right here. He was like, he wanted to make sure 
that this was God's will. He said, you know, if I'm going to defeat this enemy, I mean, this is a big risk. I can be killed or I can be, you know, back then if you lost a war, you could have been ridiculed back in those days, you know. So this was no game for Gideon. This is like, man, I'm really getting some deep water right here if, I, if God is not with me. So he made sure, you know, there's a lot of Christians I met. Like, for example, I met one couple. They were like, man, we're going overseas. We're going to be some missionaries overseas. I was like, great. But next few weeks, they're back here in America. And you're like, what happened? Oh, it was not what we thought. You know, there's a lot of things going on. I'm like, you know, if you would have prayed about it, you know, if you would ask God about it before you did it, maybe you, you wouldn't have to come back to the United States. So it's always good to pray and ask God, look, this is what you will. This is what you want me to do. So there's nothing wrong with that to know the will of God. Verse 18, depart not winch, I pray you, until I come unto you and bring forth my present. He said it before you, and he said, I will tarry until you come again. Now, uh, verse 19, and Gideon went in and made a ready, a kid, that's a lamb, an unleavened, be- uh, unleavened bread of cakes, and an ephah of flour, and the fresh he made into a bake, and he put bo- both, bo- both in a pot and made it out of him, unto him. I need the oak and proceeded into it. So we're here. He's doing. He's like, um, I want a sign from the Lord. And he's about to find out what the Lord is going to do. Now, Jesus, the Lord, verse 20. And the angel of God said unto him, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay it, uh, them upon this rock and pour it on the broth. He uh, did so. He did so. 21. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hands and touched the flesh, unleavened bread cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock, and consumed the flesh and unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord dis- disappeared out of his sight. Verse 22, And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, uh, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace, uh, peace be unto you, fear not, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called the name Jehovah Shema. And to this day, Shalom, I'm sorry, Shalom. And to this day, yet it, it is not yet Ephra of Absalom. So anyway, what this name means right here, it says Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Yes, right. The Lord is peace. So why God said this to Gideon? Because you see, Gideon was about to go to war. So God said, I'm with you, number one, and then look forward to the peace. Yes, you're in war right now, or you're about to enter war, but look forward to the peace that is coming. So it's the same thing kind of like us. You know, we're about to, you know, we face war, we face things in this life, you know, and God is telling us, please be still. I'm your, I'm Jehovah, you know, uh, Shalom. I'm your God of peace, you know. So yeah, you're in this conflict right now. You're in this war, you're in this trench. But down the line, there will be peace. So look forward to the peace that is coming in your life. So it says right here, 25, And it came to pass that night that the Lord said unto him, Take your father's young bullock, and and even seven bullocks of seven years old, throw it down into the altar of Baal that your father has cut down the grove that is by it. And he built an altar unto the Lord God upon the top of of this rock. And in order place, take the second bullock, offering a bullock sacrifice with the wood of the grove which was cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants 
and did as the Lord had said unto him. So it was because he feared his father's household, the men of the city, and he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Now, some people's like, why God ordered this for Gideon to tear down this altar of Baal? Now, the Baal, I don't know if you, you will see that a lot in, mostly in the Old Testament, the Baal worship, like where it come from, Baal, Astra. It was actually a trinity, uh, a royal trinity that they worshiped in Babylon back in the day. And it went by different names and cultures. It's kind of universal religion. It went throughout all the Middle East and everywhere. So every time you hear Baal or, Baal or Ashtoreth or Balaam, it comes actually from Nimrod. It actually comes from the Tower of Babel. So it's a religion that spread out. It just went by different names, different cultures, but it's the same group of people. So right here, he's tearing down a Babylonian religion that God hated right here. So that's pretty interesting when you hear that. Verse 28, and when the men of the city rose early in the morning, behold, the altars of Baal was cast down and the grove was, was, was cut down. That was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. At verse 29, and they said unto one another, who has done this? Uh, when they inquired and asked, and they said, Gideon, the son of Ish, has done this thing. So we can stop right here. It's amazing how people in false religions, they do this. You know, the religions, they're idle. You know, I heard a preacher say the other day, he said, you know, you know why people pray to idols? Because they're looking for something to help them. They're looking for something to feel the need in their life. And, they, and they're looking for something that God can only do that they're looking through. So here, children of Israel said they're looking to God for the deliverance, looking for God to be their spokesman and everything. They're looking for idols to give them that peace, that fulfillment in their life. And watch, this is very interesting. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, bring out your son that he, that he may die. Cool, that's false religion for you, huh? Because he has cast down the altar of Baal and because he has cast down the grove that was by it. But watch, watch Gideon's father, verse 31. And Joash said unto all who stood against him, will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? Will you plead for him? Let him be put to death while it is yet morning. If he be a God, let him plead for himself because he has cast down his altar. So I'm going to talk about two things right here that's pretty interesting. You know, a lot of people in Christianity, you know, I'm not against apologetics. I'm not against, you know, learning the word of God and knowing how to witness the word of God to people because that's what you should do. But watching documentaries, I watch a lot of them, and mostly when you're debating on creation and evolution, you can sense that the Christians in these videos, they think that they have to defend God. I mean, if you really look at it really good. And... We, we, we don't have to defend God. I mean, we go out there, we give Christian materials to people, we witness to them, and then the Holy Spirit will move upon them con conviction. The Holy Spirit would do the rest. A lot of times we think we have to help the Holy Spirit or we have to defend God. And you don't have to defend God. God can, God can do the job quite good by himself. So, and this is pretty amazing for us. Like, we look at that and say, well, how stupid. They will say, we have to defend this idol, but we do the same thing. We think we have to defend God when it comes to certain things. And another thing, too, that people fail to realize, because of what Gideon did, Ashley inspired his dad to live righteous. Because he went out at night, and he broke these statues, and he took a firm stand on God's word, he actually encouraged his dad to do what is right. Because, you see, before that... 
His dad was just following the crowd. His dad was like, hey, you know, whatever. These people, you know, I'm doing what the rest of everyone else is doing. But he stood out. Gideon stood out against the crowd. Gideon stood out against the culture of his day. Kind of like us today. We have to stand against the culture of our day. Mostly crazy stuff that's going on now. Like women could be men and all these other things that's going on. Sometimes you have to, and it's right, you have to go against your culture if it's not right. So, but then by you doing that, you inspire others. You can inspire them in two ways. They will hate you for it, but they'll still admire you for it. And two, you will like people like, man, there is something to this Christianity. Because, you know, you're the most Bible people will read. So a lot of people don't realize some people won't pick up a Bible, but you are the Bible they look to. And by your strong stand against the bells of today and, and, and of the wickedness today, people are like, oh, wow, there's something to that man. There's something to that woman. You know, there's something about them. So by him doing that, he actually encourages dad to take a righteous stand for the Lord. So as, you, you know, as Gideon, you have to tear down the bells in your life. And another thing God wanted him to do that too was that God, Gideon was telling God, if I'm going to use you, you got to clean up your own house before I can use you. You can't go preach to everyone else, tell them not to do something, and you being a hypocrite. You can't tell them not to worship other gods when your father and you are still worshiping other gods. So he's saying, before I use you, you got to clean up your house before I use you. So there's a lot of reasons why God allowed it. And watch. Therefore, on that day, he, talking about Gideon, called him Jehobel. It says, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has thrown down his altars. And another thing, too, is amazing how human beings, they make these idols. You know, how dumb it is, even if it's for Christian purposes, how dumb it is. These idols and these pictures cannot talk to you. You know, they cannot, they cannot be like the living God who comes down and have a fellowship with you and talk to you. You know, these gods were dumb. They couldn't hear. They couldn't speak. And the Bible says that. Why they make grieving images where they couldn't speak or they can't listen? They're dull of hearing. They are part of man's imagination. You know, so they're not alive. Of course, demonic forces come and try to make them alive to deceive people. But the problem is in themselves, there's nothing. So why you want to go to a dead God when you go to a living God? So that's why God was so angry at Israel. Verse 33, then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. Now, the valley of Jezreel is really Megiddo. If you read in the Bible, that's where the last battle will be fought at the Megiddo Plains. So this is another name for Megiddo. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Israel was gathered together after him. Now watch this one thing I'm going to talk about, verse 34. It says that the Spirit of the Lord fell upon Gideon. It's amazing how if you read the Bible, like the, the disciples, for example, they were cowardly. They, they, they forsook Jesus when he was arrested. I mean, these were coward men. I mean, these are poor fishermen. They were hiding. Peter, all of them, Peter rejected Jesus. He denied Jesus uh, three times, you know. But it says when they got back with Jesus and they talked with Jesus and they accept Jesus, then after his death, he was, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit moved upon them. And how they came mighty men, how they came mighty preachers of the gospel. Even the Pharisees, when they saw them, they said, we have evidence that they've been with Jesus. So it's amazing how you read all this, how the Holy Spirit moved upon men that were actually weak individuals, and it's the Holy Spirit that made them strong. It was the, Holy, the truth that made them what they were. So God moved upon Gideon. It's like God has to move upon us when we are weak. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh and all who was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Ashtoreth, 
unto Zebah and to Nebah, and they gathered up to meet them. Now, these were other tribes of Israel. Now, he didn't get Judah or all the other tribes. It was just around the tribes were up towards Lebanon, close where Lebanon was. And in verse 36, and Gideon, okay, and Gideon said unto God, If you will save Israel by my hands, as you have said, behold, I will put out a fleece of wool in the, the, the floor, and he will draw dew beyond the fleece only, and be dry upon all the earth. Because they shall, I know that you shall save Israel by my hands, as you have said. Because remember later on, uh, my understanding was, he said, let the, all the dew be on the, the fleece and, you know, and let the ground be dry. Now he wants it opposite. Now, people ask, was this wrong of Gideon to do that? Well, in a way, yeah. In a way, no. I mean, in a way, yeah, he wanted to make sure this was the will of God. But God already told him, I'll be with you already, Gideon. You know, you know, you know, you don't have to do it, you know. So he wanted to make sure. But sometimes, like David, when David in the Bible, when David came king of all Israel, he asked, the Philistines were coming against him, and he actually prayed. He said, Lord, where do you want my troops to be? He said, will you be with me in battle? Where do you want my forces to be? And God told him where to lay out the, the army and everything. It's amazing how when you go ask God, when you go ask him, for God, and it's he'll guide you. He'll give you a map. He'll show you where to go with your life and where to fight the battle. So same thing with Gideon's doing here. He's asking God for, you know, his will, and there's nothing wrong with that, but he should have, like, okay, God, you show me a sign. You know, I'm happy with that. But so I think in a way he was right, in a way he was wrong. But anyway, and it came to pass, so for he rose up early in the morning and thrust the fleece together and whipped the dew out of the fleece, and a bowl full of water. So all it was, he just, you know, like people take a towel and he kind of, you know, drained it out. And Gideon, okay, and Gideon said unto God, let not your anger be hot against me. I will speak, but this once, let me prove, I pray you, that this once with the fleece, let it be due only on the fleece and let it be on the ground, let it be due. And God did so that night, for it was dry and the fleece was only and there was dew on the whole ground. So finally, you know, and then this amazing thing, as we read later on, he asks God for another sign. So, man, this guy really believed in signs and wonders. I mean, you think about it. Now, right here, we're in chapter 7. Then Jobel, uh, Jabel, now remember, they named Gideon this because, Drubal, because it means he throw down the altars of Baal. Who is Gideon? And all the people who were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Hedron. It's, it exists today. It's actually a tour site today. So that the hosts of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Merash in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, watch this. Now the people, they're, they're about to gather the army. They're about to gather an army together. But watch this. Yep, watch. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands. Lest Israel... Uh, themselves against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So, you know, God did this on purpose. God wanted to be where the battle was so against their favor that they couldn't brag. You know, they couldn't say, oh, well, you know, we got this victory. You know, we won the battle. So God did it where when people look at them, they're like, no, nah, it had to be somebody else. You know, this little tag army or the way the, the way it was, the, the army got together and the way their size were, there's no way that y'all did this. So God pretty much want to get glory 
for this battle, pretty much. And it's kind of like us today. You know, we're not supposed to give ourselves glory wherever God puts us in. While we are singers or preachers or teachers or whatever God put us to be, you know, you have to give glory to God. And I think that's where a lot of ministers and a lot of people fall because they're like, they so much give glory to themselves and to their ministries and to what they are that they're not giving glory to God, you know, you know, and that's what God wants. God, God don't want the vessel to have the glory. He wants the people he's using as a vessel, you know, to have the glory. Let God give the glory for the victory. It's kind of like when we're watching the documentary, some of y'all were here, some of y'all were not. We watched about uh, uh, Israel against all odds in the documentary where Israel had no chance to win in the six-day war. They were outnumbered, outgunned. I mean, there was no chance for Israel to beat these Arabs. But supernaturally, God did it. And you look at Israel, like today, Israel's the size of New Jersey. It's not really a big country. And then before that, when they came a nation, before they got all that land, they were really smaller than that. So there was no way that 10,000 or 100,000 people can beat 2 million people. That's 2 million Arabs. So it's impossible for that in human sense. But God supernaturally delivered Israel. So God wanted to do it where it had to be supernatural. It had to give him glory. All right. I think we on three. Therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilbo and return to the people 20 and 10,000 that will remain in 10,000. So watch. Can you imagine, for example, Gideon's speaking out to the crowd, and he says, all you who are scared to fight, go home. Now, I said, why Gideon did it, or why God allowed it? Well, we know it's because of numbers. God wanted it small and really where God can get the glory. And two, God didn't want people in the ranks to destroy the army. Take example, if you have men that are fearful, they're going to pass their fear down to the other men. So that's another reason why most people believe God did it, because God didn't want the army to follow fearful men. It's kind of like us. You know, a lot of times we follow people, and a lot of times they lead you into, if it's not godly now, if it's godly, fine. But a lot of times when you follow all the fear of people, you follow them. You know, it's kind of like when I, we were in Tennessee one time, and we, were, uh, we wanted some horses. And, uh, and they had a bird that came fly right by me. I think it was a pelican or something. It was some type of bird. And I, I got all scared. My horse got, I started to get all scared. And I started getting scared. I started putting fear in the other ones. I had a black lady behind me. She was like, I want to get off the horse. And she got all scared. So <laughs> I'm kind of giving that example why God also did that because he didn't want fear going throughout the army to destroy the army. So that's another reason why he did that. Yeah, it was a peacock, something like that. I mean, can you imagine... <laughs> Can you imagine Gideon telling her about, all right, go home. Can you imagine one of those guys standing up and says, uh, Mr. Gideon, you said that we can go home if we're scared? I say, yeah, you can go home. Really? Yeah, you can go home. Hey, Charlie, he said we can go home. Really? Well, let's go back home and play checkers. You know, so they went back home and, you know, boy, and one of those guys came up, boy, Gideon, I hope you beat those men. You know, I hope God is with you. And I'm sorry I'm not going to be here. Oh, it's okay, man. God, God was God, God's going to work everything out, you know. I hope you beat them and hope get them out of the land. See you, Gideon. <laughs> and they left, you know. <laughs> so Gideon's here left with a few men. And I'm pretty sure Gideon's thinking to God, God already had a few men. I mean, you're shrinking this army more and more. But now let's go to four. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for, for you there. 
And it shall be that of whom I say unto you, this shall go with you. The same should go with you. Uh, okay, and of whosoever I say unto you, this shall not go with you. The same shall not go. Now, the reason why God did this, God has a reason for everything. And matter of fact, if I understood military, I mean, military, tragic, military stuff in the army, you're supposed to be awareness. You're supposed to make sure, like, if you're watching over the towers, whatever, or you in the army, or you're fighting in the field, you have to be alert. Because, I mean, you can just take, you know, your mind off just a little while. I mean, you can be killed. So God wanted the army where he's like, look, I want them prepared. I want them to be alert. And then watch. So he brought them down, uh, the people, into the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who zips out of the water with his tongue as a dog lips, him shall you sit by himself. Likewise, anyone who bows down upon his knees to drink, and the number of them who leap, uh, putting their hands to their mouth, there were 300 men, but all the rest of the people bow down before their knees and drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, by 300 men who leap you, I will save you and leave the Midianites into your hands. And I will let all the people go everywhere, every man to his own place. So right here, those that was just drinking, they had their heads down. They weren't paying attention to their surroundings. They weren't watching out for the enemy. But those who were drinking, they were like, they were looking. So spiritually speaking, you got many Christians like that. You have some, they're not worried about the devil. They're not worried about Satan and his devices. They're just doing their own thing. They're drinking the way they want. They're just doing their own thing. But you got some Christians that are alert. They're looking out for the devil. Because the Bible says, I think it's in Peter, when Peter said through the Holy Spirit that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking that he may devour. So they were looking for the enemy. They were making sure that the enemy was not going to kill them. So God said, that's who I want. I want the ones who are alert. So the people took uh, vessels in their hands and their trumpets and said, all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and reside those 300 men in the whole Seminium uh, beneath him in the valley. So this amazing thing like I actually find that's amazing in the Bible. Not only does God use weak, strange people, but he also uses strange weapons. So if you look at in a natural way of speaking, this is not a weapon you will not have in battle. You will, not have a, you will have a gun or a knife or a sword, but you will not have a pitcher and a, fire, a torch for a fire. What are you going to do with that? I mean, there's no firepower in that. There's no, there's no explosion you're going to get from that if you were trying to fight a war. So God was making this war so unpredictable where Israel and the people that surround them said it had to be God because there's no way you can fight enemies like that. So verse 9, and it came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Rise, get ye down unto the host, for I deliver it into your hands. But ye of fear, go down and go with you, Peroth, Perosh, whatever his name is, servant, your servant down to the host. Now, he was still having some doubt. He was still having some, some unsecurities, I guess we can say, in our day. So God's like, okay, to calm you before the battle, I'm going to show you that I deliver your enemies in your hands. Just go down to the camp of the enemy and watch. There's something I'm going to do there for you, Gideon. So he went down. Verse 11, and you should hear what they say afterward. Should your hands be strong to go down unto the host? Then he went, he went, went he down. Uh, to prayer his servant and to the outside of the army. 
and men were in the host. And verse 12, and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east laid alongside the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. Their camels were out in number and their, their, as the sands by the seashore side for multitude. Verse 13, and when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man who told a dream unto his fellows and said, behold, I dreamed a dream, a low, a cake of barley bread tumbled unto the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it. And it fell and overthrew it that the tent laid as long. As, as long. Wow, what a bread, huh? Man, I like bread, but man, I, I even think that's enough too much bread for me, I'll be honest with you. But the thing is, like, God, you see, this amazing thing, how God does things. God works in cracks in places we can't go. You know, it's amazing how we have a limit. We have a place where we can only go so far. But God can go in places where, you know, we can't go and God moves. So God, if you find in the Bible a lot of times with Pharaoh, with Joseph, and with uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you find a lot of times how God sent dreams to these individuals. In other words, God did a work and he did something where men could not go. So it's amazing how God was actually preparing the war for Gideon. He went in a dream, he went into the mind of a man, and God, God was preparing them for battle. Pretty much God delivered them into his hands. This is, God was telling Gideon, because of this dream now, you are victorious. 14, and his fellow answered and said, this is nothing less save the sword of Gideon, the son of Ish, a man of Israel, from unto his hands has God delivered Midian and all the hosts. But watch, oh yeah, watch, verse 15, and it was so when Gideon heard this, the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshiped and returned to the host of Israel and said, Rise, for the Lord has delivered our, our, our hands in the host of Midian. So he had a tent revival right there. Well, he was all, he was all excited. Oh, Lord, God, the Lord's about to do something great. And he divided 300 men and three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps were in the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I, came, I come into outside of the camp, it shall be that when I do so, you should do. So otherwise, he's telling these guys, this follow me. I'm your leader. Follow me. And everything will be all right because God directed this way. And it's in verse 18. But I blew with a trumpet. I and all who are with me then blow the trumpet on every side of all the camp, saying the sword of the Lord of Gideon. So 19. So Gideon and the 100, 300 men who were with him came into the side of the camp in the beginning of the middle. Watch. And they put an, an, a newly set watch. And they blew the trumpet and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And the 300 companies blew the trumpet and broke the pitchers. And behold, the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow without. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man his place round about the camp. And all the hosts ran and cried and fled. So what happened right here? Well, when they dropped the jugs down, and they said all these things, God actually sent a spirit of confusion into the camp. And this is not the first time this happened. If you read uh, in the uh, book of Kings or Chronicles where Jehoshaphat was going to fight some enemies, and all they did was sing. They went on top of a hill, they played instruments and sing, and God sent a spirit of confusion because, remember, these nations were of different peoples. You got to admit, the, the Midianites and the Amalekites. They're from different countries. They're not the same tribe. They're not the same ethnicity, I guess you can call it. So 
God sent his spirit in there to confuse them so they fought each other. So it's amazing how God does that. So this is what happened here. God sent a spirit of confusion. They kill, they're killing each other or, or they're thinking another army is coming. This happened twice in the Bible. Some, some they, they think an army is coming to, uh, to attack them or they start attacking each other for confusion. So most of the time, that's how the Lord worked. So this is one part, I believe, where God sent a spirit of confusion into the enemy. And 300 men blew their trumpets, uh, 22. And the Lord said, every man's sword against his fellow and throughout all the hosts. And the hosts fled to Belashash, oh Lord, Zablas, the border of Amnon and Tibu. Whew. Thank God for Brew Bridge, huh? And, whew. 23. And the men of Israel gathered together out of Zeba and of Asher and out of all Manasseh and pursued after the, Mel the Melanites. And Gideon sent messages throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and take, the, uh, take, take before them the waters of Bel Ashur, Abash, Jordan. And then all of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters of Belash and Jordan. <coughs> Excuse me. Now we're going to stop right there because as you go into later in the book, if y'all want to, you know, y'all want to read, you know, more into it, that's fine. Uh, where he actually captures two princes of the Midianites and the Amalekites, and he kills them and stuff. And, uh, and the children of Israel actually come to Gideon. They said, uh, make us, we will make you a king. They were going to try to create a first monarchy. And it's like, uh, we will make you a king because of how you deliver us. And he said, well, God will be your king. I won't be your king. God will be your king. So as, as times we do that, we want men or individuals to be our kings. Or we want people to be our rulers, spiritually speaking. But God is our king. He's the ruler. He's the one who guides and directs our life, you know. And a lot of times, even as ministers, sometimes we put ministers in high pedestals. We make them like almost a king. And, and the thing is, no, God is your king. We're, just, we're vessels being used by God or whoever. We're being used by God. We're not kings. We're used by God. So as you could tell, Gideon, if you read from the end of this verse and stuff, Gideon did kind of some shady things. He wasn't perfect, but that's all right. God uses unperfect people to do great tasks. So... So Gideon's a good example of how God can use a man who was fearful, who was doubtful, just like the disciples. They were fearful and doubtful, and then they changed the whole world, you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the help of God. You know, God giving them firepower to help them out. So.